Hey, everybody. Welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast where every Wednesday we'll bring you fast-paced, powerful 15 or so minute episodes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends and all things tech for the professional salon industry. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host. A reminder that on Sundays, you can find me hosting BeautyCast Network's Mastering Beauty podcast, featuring brilliant guests sharing their best advice on building sustainable and successful careers. All right, before we get started, um, if you like the podcast, do feel free when you're done today to leave a rating or review. It helps others to find us. Uh, also, considering subscribing. That way, you're sure not to miss any episode yourself. All right, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Um, it, it is a beautiful Sunday in Chicago. I'm suffering from cat and flower allergies. <laughs> so it's, it's that time of year, uh, especially, well, the cats all the time. Um, anyway, um, but I'm, I'm doing the coffee, so all was good. And so uh, today, I well, let me say I'm, I'm working on some presentations. Um, I've been doing a lot of them lately, and uh, that always excites me, getting out and, and sharing information, I'm trying my best to educate a little bit, provide some, some context. And coming up, I've got, uh, I'm doing something with um, Paul Mitchell. Camp Paul Mitchell is called, I'm going glamping uh, for the first time ever with, with my friends over at Paul Mitchell. They've got a lot of some of their best, best salons from around the country who are coming in for it. And we'll be talking about the big idea of community. And I am most excited to share my thoughts and insights around that topic. Um, also coming up is Moroccan Oil, going to be at the Moroccan Oil Academy. They've got a business certification program happening, which I, I just love that idea of business certification. It's so important for, I think, just about everybody in this industry, but especially those who want to own salons. Great, great resource. Participating in that for my second time and uh, working on, already working on, on a return for a third visit um, with that group um, early next year. And then in the fall, um, in September, I will be at the Moroccan Oil Collective, which is their first kind of big global symposium. Um, they're going to have a very large audience who's in Las Vegas. It's going to be luxury all the way. That's how Moroccan Oil does stuff. I <laughs> am excited uh, to be talking trends and to be talking um, yeah, on, on, a, on, a, on a panel that's uh, going to close the event. Most excited about that. All those things uh, are forever making me do research and trying to learn as much as I can about the industry. And, and they, um, yeah, they gave me some, some food for thought for today's podcast. So I'm going to go back to one of my old quotes because I think it's, it's something to put in front of us as we are thinking um, about things, looking at, at new ideas. And that is uh, from Wayne Dyer. He says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Uh, again, if you change the way you look at things, like our industry, the industry then uh, can change for you. Really important. Coming out of pandemic, you know, I, I talked a lot about the age of, of, of misinformation being upon us. It's kind of acceptance of there's this idea of fake news. Um, and, and we don't always know what the truth is. I was recent, recently visiting with family and there was a conversation about the truth. And, and somebody said, well, there, there's no, no such thing as the truth. That really bothered me <laughs> because I, I really do believe um, there is. Uh, I know there is something that is the truth uh, by definition. Uh, uh, yeah, truth is provable. And, and, but then, you know, today we can't agree on how things are proved. So it, it's a very difficult time in the world. Um, and, and that difficulty bleeds over into the industry. You know, we have a lot of fake information floating around the industry because today, you know, with social media, everybody is allowed to have a voice, everybody, which is a good thing, uh, you know, on the surface. And the megaphone can be louder for some than others, especially if the algorithms are liking what they're saying and liking, quote unquote, is a relative term because algorithms sometimes like misinformation because they gin up the, the audience, gets them excited. 
it's almost like a comedian who tells like a really bad joke. Let's say a, um, a joke that's a little bit, you know, not in good taste, but gets a great laugh. Then there's a temptation to do it again and do it again, even though they might know it's a bad taste and they might not even feel that good about it. And of course, taste, that's, that's in the eye of the beholder. But, but you know what I mean? Um, with the algorithms, you can, you can be rewarded for saying things that just aren't true. And for some, that's okay. So it drives me crazy. This information, this misinformation that's all around us means that from a trend perspective, we continue to live in a time of great uncertainty. And again, it's been true for years now, um, certainly from pandemic forward. There's always been uncertainty. There always will be. But again, it feels like we are um, at perhaps not the worst place ever. That might have been in the midst of pandemic, but we haven't rolled all the way out of the uncertainty. It's still very much a part of of the world and, and of our world and beauty in particular. And I feel like it's getting more, more attention and, and sometimes validation, the uncertainty, uh, which is often connected to untruths. Um, and, and that, of course, is a big concern. One of the biggest lessons that, that I've gotten out of uh, the pandemic and where we are today, you know, again, as we kind of roll into this new era, is that niches um, really, really matter. The, the categories of, of business, of career that we live in, that is in many ways, not like other categories. So the niches are these, you know, little pieces of pie, if you will. If you look at the industry and all the different categories as being all as part of one pie, um, each of them is a different piece and kind of how they fit in is, is always interesting. So we consider how are things? When you look at the collective, everybody, the answer to that question is more than likely very different for that collective than it is for you individually, unless you happen to live in, in the kind of the center, kind of the average categories, if you will. If the average kind of tends to look like you because you are almost by definition in the average category, not a bad thing. So when we say niches, you know, I'll, I'll give you some examples of them. So the size of a business is a niche and a larger business is going to view what's happening economically different than a smaller business. And it just is what it is a larger business by virtue of its customer types, as another example, could be having very, very different results. And I'll, I'll be extreme in saying this. So let's say in, in a town that there are two niches by personal income, and one is very, very high, and one is very, very low. Um, the average, and I'm going to say in this average, because most are very low, the rest are very high, there's nobody in the middle. Like They don't honestly exist. Like In my example, Nobody's middle income is really low. It's really high. So when you average everything, the average is kind of meaningless. You know, it gives you a number, but if you really understand the niche of this geography, then well, that average is a meaningless number because nobody's there. I need to look at that low income number and decide what it means for my business. In this example, I'll say we've decided, well, that's, those aren't our customers. Nice people, but those aren't our customers. The high um, is where we live as a business. And the highs economic experience in probably every part of their life is very, very different than that other audience that's not coming into your salon. And, and now when we kind of step back and compare our salon, not only to the salons in our community, but to the entire universe of salons, and now we're paying attention to what people are saying about that universe. Things are good, things are bad, inflation's through the roof, it's hurting us, it's, it's not hurting us. What, whatever that big, big picture is, again, in my niche, it's important that I understand what's happening. Yes, big picture, but also where am I and what might those things mean for me? So again, if I'm in that high, high income niche, 
well, they're not being impacted by inflation in the same way as everybody else is. And all the studies prove that, that those who are at the higher end of the income um, side of things, yes, they're being impacted by inflation, sometimes high, sometimes low. Collectively, they tend to be on the low side for all kinds of reasons, too much to get into here. You know, but, but the reality is their economic circumstances by way of changes in inflation aren't going to hurt your salon more than likely. You know, so I'm, I'm generalizing, but that's important to know. That's just trying to give you an example of how to think about these niches. So the size of the business, the, the business model, you know, is it independent? Is it commission? Is it team-based? Is it on and on and on? What are the business models? Because those models have an impact of, of helping define what niche you fall into. And then those niches are not all the same. And that's, that's a real big point here to realize they're not the same. You have to kind of put your niche in the context of everything else going on in life. So continuing with the niches, positioning and branding. You know, if you're, uh, I'll, I'll just pick this out of the air, you're in a Veda concept salon. I don't know if they call them that anymore, but you're in a Veda salon that uses a lot of Aveda. Most of the salons I know like that, they're on the high end of, of positioning. They are more towards luxury. I mean, if not luxury, you know, again, higher end. And certainly that kind of eco-friendly ethos that is Aveda has an impact on all that. So again, very much part of the positioning. Uh, another uh, niche is life cycle. How old is the salon? How long has it been around? Because again, all this happening around us could have an impact on that. Really important to say. Um, geography, of course, has has an impact. If you're a salon in Beverly Hills, and you consider what's happening in Beverly Hills when you when you think about pricing, and I'll I'll make a probably an unfair um, generalization, but let's just pretend for a moment that everybody in Beverly Hills is rich. I, I know that's not the case. Um, and versus a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, where everybody's working class, so those incomes are significantly different, and that means the pricing opportunity is going to be significantly different. You know, it's just it's not going to be the same. Um, because there are different groups of people with different economic power. And so things have to be somewhat relative to that. Couldn't there be that one salon in that really small town that's mostly middle income that, um, that can charge really high prices? Yes, but they all can't. And I, in my example, in Beverly Hills, pretty much all is at a higher price. That's important to know. And again, I'm, I'm making up my version of Beverly Hills. I, I know not everybody in Beverly Hills is rich. And then lastly, um, uh, kind of split this into two, um, actually generations. I think that's really, really important to consider um, for all kinds of reasons. And we know most salons are multi-generation, but still, generation is important to note. It, it, it uh, impacts all kinds of things, um, most particular our worldview, and, and that certainly has a lot to do with everything we do. And then um, culture, race, diversity, you know, I, I would put those into another niche. And lack of culture and lack of diversity would be connected to how we consider that niche. So I think niches are just so, so important. My next point is connected to all of those things is when we think about careers, we think about people who work around us, um, there are life cycles in our careers and there are life cycles in the work we do within the context of a single business. Um, so big picture, you know, human resource people, they, they study this and they look at like how long are people on jobs on average and across all industries. We don't have a lot of great data for beauty, but when you look around the larger world around us. And just because we're part of the larger world, it's going to have some impact on us. And, and one of the easiest to understand that way is, is all the talk during pandemic of how come other people get to take off on Saturday and we don't, that's not fair. 
Um, by the way, I, I'll point out that a huge number of people in America, it's not a small percentage, it's huge, um, uh, are working on Saturdays and Sundays. And at three o'clock in the morning, when you divide up all the workers, you know, we're a 24 seven world and there are people working shifts in all kinds of industries at all kinds of income levels. And so, you know, life is not so black and white that, you know, Monday through Friday, certain hours, all that stuff. It's, we live in a different world today and we need to consider that. But when we look at this life cycle of employees and life cycle of employment within an organization, um, you can you can find the research out there as to how things work in terms of getting a person's interest in a career, getting ready for a career. Then there's a recruitment process. There's then bringing people into organizations, into a salon, uh, career development within an organization. Then always the big question mark retention. You know, how long does a person stay? So many careers now, it's about five years on average that a person in, is in a, in a job in, for a company or with a company. Um, and then you kind of have the, what many refer to offboarding, which sometimes is somebody just walking out the door and sometimes it's a little bit more organized. I would love, love, love to see a study of our own industry that considers this bigger question, of course, what is, what is the life cycle look like? Because again, we don't even have good data on employment generally, you know, we we have stories, you know, and we try to, I try to triangulate those stories to get to some sense of reality, but always I'm scratching my head. And so it would be great that the data, A, be put together. And if I was talking to someone who's going to do that, I'd say, you, you kind of have to stratify it by business models that the employee life cycle, and I'm, and I'm going to say workforce life cycle, because more than half the industry is self-employed. Um, that scares me because we're one of the few industries that this many people are self-employed. And it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me sometimes because most of us aren't built to be self-employed. So for anybody who's looking to do this kind of data, I would say that we need to look at kind of the workforce life cycle, and then we should divide it up into categories, right? Categories. So what is the life cycle of someone who is in the independent space? And I would look at the chair. I would look at um, the suite. I don't, I honestly don't know how many booths are out there still, if it statistically, you know, makes sense or not, but others would know the answer to that question. If it does, I, I would do that. I would then be looking at the category of people who work in commission salons. I would look at the category of owners of salons to look at their life cycle. They're all going to be a little bit different. And then I would kind of do a cross tab if I could, which means I, I would pull data out in a different way from the larger data. And I would look at people by generation to see if, if generation has an impact on life cycle of, of employment. Um, I would argue just because the world we live in today, more people feel the freedom to make changes than felt in the past. And that um, connects to generation only by way of younger people coming in have a different way of looking at things. Older people today have an opportunity to look at it the exact same way because the world has changed. So it's hard to know how that will look when we kind of dig into the data. Um, because again, we all have access to the same information. Although I'd say that kind of culturally, you know, as humans, uh, for most of us, um, certain generations think about work a different way. Think perhaps um, not just the industry specific, but there's an interest in stability as one gets older. That could be part of things that make the data look different. But again, um, it would be so interesting for somebody to do this. So um, <laughs> please, please, please do. And um, yeah. I um, And then lastly, I've been pondering so much this big idea of independence. I, I've been a supporter of independence my entire career. I believe so much in, in, in having respect for 
everybody, you know, having the right to work the way they want to work as long as we're doing it legally um, in a way that you know, supports their career growing, supports them personally, support, helps them support their family. I believe in flexibility in how we choose to live our lives personally and professionally. When I take a big step out as an industry person and just look at what's happening with independence and looking at it not only in the United States, but globally, I would just use these bullet points to, to, to end my talk today on and, and say that we all kind of owe the industry to ponder this and, and to get together as often as we can uh, with our fellow professionals to, to share ideas around this because I think that independence, because it has taken off in a way that is um, significant, you know, pandemic kind of, I think we hit kind of a critical mass and, and push people into it who, who maybe weren't quite ready. So um, some were, some weren't, but that's always been the case, but I think perhaps more, I, I think we should consider these type of things. So big picture, I don't think there's any question whatsoever that there's higher turnover in the independent space, especially amongst those with less experience. And those with less experience have always in this industry had higher turnover. It makes perfect sense. But if you're in an environment not surrounded by coworkers, not surrounded by any form of leadership, uh, management, good or bad in some ways, you're probably at higher risk because you don't have anybody to encourage you, to support you, to kind of lift you up when you're having a tough time. And so I think, you know, it doesn't make one necessarily bad versus another, but if I was talking to a, a friend who was considering independence, I'd question them a lot about that. How are you when things get hard on your own? How much do you depend on, your, do you depend on others around you because you may not have them? There is um, been a big talk about diversification, diversification of income streams. And it's not a conversation I've loved because to me, it's like, you don't need to diversify except within the salon, in my opinion, because there's so many opportunities. There's the money that you do um, or you bring in for yourself, you know, doing the craft, cutting hair, coloring hair, you know, if you will. Um, there is the opportunity to bring in retail income and there is the opportunity to bring in tips and maximize all three of those. So that, that I would say is important. But when you move into independence, what we're seeing, I believe, is less opportunities to diversify in those classic areas. So we're seeing a focus on service income. We're seeing and hearing about a um, less happening in retail. Um, maybe not less for an individual person, but the category itself. We're seeing those who are participating in a category with relatively healthy retail going to a category where it's not. So that becomes a challenge. Tips is interesting. I've talked to a lot of independents who don't receive tips. Um, they're not necessarily happy about that. But where they live, and this, this does change by geography, um, owners, quote unquote, of businesses are not considered um, folks that you tip as a consumer. You don't tip the owner. And that's a real thing. So that means less diversification. And some have not calculated that when they move from employment to independence. I'm not saying that's a general thing, but I know in certain geographies it very much is. Um, as people move into independence, there's also less kind of business strategy being considered. It becomes very tactical. You know, strategy is kind of a bigger idea. For most of us, strategy is, is a little difficult in the beginning of that idea, you know, kind of defining, you know, what, what are tactics versus strategies. I'm not going to get into that here, but but those who don't understand it, I think, have a struggle more, period. When you're in, in the independent space, again, you have less mentorship, less access to stuff. That's a concern. Less education, less learning. Outside of structured environments, we all tend to opt out more than we opt in to voluntary you know, opportunities to learn. Um, when you're part of an organization, even if it's voluntary, you know, we have a tendency to kind of act like a group. You know, there's a whole group think thing. And, um, and 
also there is the mandatory education. So, but generally watching folks, I would say that in the independent space, we're seeing a lot less learning. Now, again, exceptions to everything, you know, we look online, we see the independent educators, you know, bringing, you know, 20, 50, 100 people together, sometimes more. And that's happening. And those audiences are very often, a lot of them are independents, often very mixed. But they're a small subset of this giant category of hundreds of thousands of independents in the industry. So you have to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as well. So um, anyway, that's a short list. I just want to kind of focus on that as well. I, um, oh, I have a lot more to talk about, <laughs> but I'm not going to do it today. And um, again, I'm so grateful to be doing all these talks around the industry these days. Um, again, some really great ones coming up and uh, more to talk about on those soon. And yeah, so um, let me begin to wrap up here. I uh, will say, if, if you like what you heard, consider leaving a review or hitting a little start button on your podcast platform. Um, share the podcast with somebody else. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I so love doing this. So remember that on Sundays, I have the Beautycast Network podcast. I'm CEO of Beautycast Network. I am host of the Mastering Beauty podcast where I have these brilliant guests coming on every single week to talk about creating sustainable, successful, and satisfying careers. Um, head over to socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for my free newsletter. It comes out every Monday. All it does is give you links to great content. It's not a lot of words. It's like, here's the stuff I'm seeing across the industry. Nah, not so much across the industry, across the world. YouTube videos, podcasts about, you know, whether it's technology or business strategies, but they tend to be mostly from outside of the industry. And I, I so enjoy sharing all that sort of stuff. So um, once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm Gordon Miller. And I cannot wait to share more with you next time.